Welcome back to the Roman's Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. Man, oh man, what a week. I guess we have a ton to cover in this week's episode, and as if Chelsea could not possibly give us a, give us more nonsense slash confusion or devastation, they go and do exactly that. This week we cover everything from hashtag Kepagate to the tactical changes Sorry made versus City. We also do a brief overview of our match against Momo uh, at midweek last week, as well as an in-depth discussion about our recent transfer ban imposed on us by the people at FIFA. Don't worry, guys. It's not a Roman's Empire podcast without talking shit about some Spurs. And we'll do exactly that as we finish off this week's episode with a preview and our predictions for our upcoming match against them this upcoming Wednesday. So, Andres, how you doing? Oh man, it's a that's a complicated one. I feel good in defeat, which is weird, but I'm I'm trying to stay optimistic after after Sunday's cup final. Yeah, I mean I, I there there is a lot to be optimistic about, and I guess that's something that not uh that's something that a lot of people seem to overlook. A decent performance. We were expecting a lot worse. At least it wasn't six nil or seven nil um like i anticipated it would be i actually thought it was going to be a shit show but instead we uh we actually showed up to play some some football so uh why don't we just get right into that match our line i'm gonna go through the lineups really quick so we had uh keppa in goal emerson out on the left uh david Luiz and rudiger as the two center backs as Piliqueta over on the right we had Jorginho, Conte, and Barkley making up our midfield three. And shockingly, going into this match, playing without a natural striker. So we had Pedro, William, and Hazard at the false nine. So let's get right into it. The giant elephant in the room. This Keppa situation. Um, so for those of you that don't know, Keppa cramped up twice during this match. And after the second cramp, uh, the medical staff was on the field stretching him out. Uh, supposedly, according to Sari, there was a there was something wrong with the uh, walkie-talkies they were using, or the radios they were using, um, that the coaches used to communicate with the medical staff. Absolutely ridiculous. You know, uh, they could still yell at each other, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, anyway, Sari summoned Willie Caballero. Caballero gets up, starts warming up, puts his kit on, waiting to get subbed in. His number is up on the board. Keppa waves Caballero off, which confused Sari. There was about a 45-second period where both of them had no idea what was going on. Um, Keppa kept waving him off, saying, I'm okay, I'm okay. Sari was convinced he wasn't, hence him trying to bring in Caballero. Sari told him to come off anyways. Keppa refused, For and about two minutes later, Sari eventually gave up and threw a tantrum on the sideline as he ripped his jacket open and uh and, and and had a few choice words um in frustration but the interesting thing is that he walks off and he goes down into the tunnel area where the where the players walk out walks right in front of those doors turns around comes back to the sidelines and uh continues to have a go at keppa as the penalty kicks ensued this all happened in the uh, second period of extra time i think about 27 minutes in so 
Andres, uh, before we get into you know how Kepa and Sari reacted to this, as well as some of the other players, I mean, what what were your initial thoughts as you were watching the situation unfold? Oh man, I I was so confused. I was like, this. My first thought was like, you've got to be kidding me. This can't be happening right now, because I wasn't thinking immediately about the PKs. I was just thinking about what the media was gonna do and what they did end up doing which was blow up this whole thing out of the water. I was like, just when Chelsea's doing something good, getting City all the way down to PKs, we shoot ourselves in the foot by having Kepa react like he did and fueling this whole thing about sorry losing the locker room once more, just when for 120 minutes, it looked like they were on his side. So that was my initial reaction. I mean... I, I couldn't watch the game live. My uh, my um, my club team had a game, so I was actually coaching during the Chelsea match. But I did have the scores and like the play-by-play, the Twitter feeds up during the match. But anyways, after my game ended, um, I saw it was a second period of extra time. I found an illegal stream on my phone, turned it on, and what's the first thing I see? I see Kepa waving to Maurizio Sarri, um, begging him to stay on the pitch. So I kind of jumped in about midway through. I didn't get to I didn't get to see the full thing until I got home yeah. and, and and saw it on YouTube. But my initial reaction was, oh, you know what? I'm not I'm not too mad about that because yeah, I mean Kepa's never won a trophy. You know he's uh, he's you know a young goalkeeper. Obviously he wants to play in a cup final. But then after you know I thought about it. Um, my views slowly changed, but we'll get that. Then we'll get to that in a second. I want to read Kepa's statement after the match. Um, he said, "Quote: I made a big mistake with how I handled the situation. I wanted to take the time today to apologize fully and in person to the coach, to Willie, my teammates, and to the club. Now I want to offer the same apology to the fans. I'll learn from this episode and will accept any punishment or discipline the club decides is appropriate." So now, do you just brush it under the rug? I mean, yeah. I mean, yes. Unfortunately, we don't have the luxury to bench him a few games. Mm-hmm. We have Tottenham on Wednesday, and that's a significant drop-off in quality, putting Willie in there. No offense to Willie, but Kepa's feet bring a lot into the way we play football. So, yeah. Um, I guess before we kind of before we start double-taking, let's just go ahead and, and jump into Sujin's question. Yeah, let's do it. So Sujin uh, tweeted at us earlier today with the uh, the question of the century, it seems, right now. So she said, hashtag Team Keppa or hashtag Team Sorry. Um, Andres, I'll let you take this one first. Yeah, uh, I am wholeheartedly Team Sorry here because no matter what the misunderstanding, no matter what the, his numbers came up on the board, whether it was a tactical sub or an injury sub, your number was on the board. If you're pissed off about it, get off the field and talk about it on the bench. You embarrass your club, your teammates, your manager, your fans, because let's be real. If you have friends who are supporters of other teams, you got the text message and you got annoyed at seeing people ask you what the hell is going on. And you did it in the biggest stage. And yes, I get it. You played 120 minutes of amazing football and you're not going to let these little cramps you know, screw you out of being the hero. Well, 
Unfortunately, that's not how history played out. You weren't the hero anyway. But again, the biggest thing for me was the way how sel- it was selfish in the moment because he wasn't thinking about how the media was going to spin the story, how now sorry looks like he doesn't have the player's confidence. People are now calling into question our leadership in terms of captaincy, not just leadership in general. Now who our captain should be. Like mm-hmm. you didn't think about all the the dominoes that were going to fall after your reaction and the way you reacted. And that's my issue with that, which is why I'm on Sari's side. Kepa should have come off the pitch. So, um, I mean, I'm I'm team Sari on this one also because, you know, although I don't think Kepa's intentions were to were to undermine the manager directly, he did it anyways. You know, even even John Terry said it. He said, when your number goes up, you have to come off. I mean, it's that simple. You have to show that respect to your manager, your teammates. Nobody's bigger than the badge. And in that case, Kepa totally used his player power to his advantage. Now, for me, it's not only disrespectful to Sari, but what about the teammates? You know, I, yep. I, I, whether or not I think this is getting out of proportion is besides the point, which I do think it's getting completely blown out of proportion. But I do understand Kepa's point of view to a certain extent. He is starting his first cup final, like I said earlier, and he wants to win his first trophy. Of course he wants to stay on. And Sari even praises by saying that his motivation was great, but he just went about it all wrong. And Sari mentioned mm-hmm. how Kepa should have thought about the implications of his actions before he went into it, knowing that, yes, we are at a cup final. The spotlight of the whole entire country and, and Europe is watching. And you can't fuck up in a situation like that. It's that simple. I mean, it comes down to just being a proper professional. And when you're in yeah. a cup final, there's no more important time to be a professional. Look, the bottom line is that it happened. They both agreed. It was this you know, misunderstanding. And now it's time to move on. And this is a message to you know whatever Chelsea fan is still up in arms about this whole situation. The sooner that Chelsea fans stop mentioning this and giving this attention, the less likely the media will be able to prof off of it much longer. Yeah. We have way too much still on the line to dwell in the past. I mean, we're still in the top four fight and we're still in the Europa League fight. So I say, look, Kepa's a young goalkeeper. If he gets dropped against Spurs, you know, it, it is Kinda what it deserved. is. Yep. He does deserve it. I'm not going to be mad if Sari decides to drop him because that's what managers should be doing. But if we do play him, I'm still not going to be mad because he's clearly the better goalkeeper. Now, this whole debate that really gets to me is – Okay, well, Caballero, you know, didn't come on, and we we could have won that cup final if he came on because his ex-teammates, you know, he's playing against his ex-teammates, and he knows their tendencies, and he's a better penalty shot stopper or whatever. Look, I would agree with you on any other day of the week, but you cannot come off the bench cold in a cup final with less than 30 seconds of a warm-up and stop two, maybe three penalties for Man City, which is probably the number that you're going to have to stop if you want to wind up beating them in a shootout. I just don't think that's a realistic possibility, and I don't think that that's a smart tactical move to swap out your goalkeeper on 120 minutes so you could bring in somebody that's supposedly a, quote, penalty stopper. Yeah. No backup goalkeeper in my book is a penalty stopping specialist. I understand that Caballero's numbers back him up pretty well, but I just don't agree with that at all whatsoever now if Keppa was injured and Sari's intention was to take him off because his goalkeeper was injured 
and it was inhibiting his athleticism or his reaction time or his quickness, then yes, of course that substitution makes sense. But if Keppa was really okay and he was just really cramping and just needed a little tiny stretch out, then that's fine with me. But supposedly it looked like it was more than that. The Aguero stop, he did not uh, he, he did not extend as far as he would have liked. You could tell he was he was a little slow getting down um, to make the save. That's why the ball squeezed under him. And in between all the PKs, he was stretching himself out. So there was clearly something wrong. It's just it, it's just a very frustrating situation in general because as it was happening, like you said, Andres, what are we all thinking? Oh fuck, here we go again. How could this possibly get any worse? On the one day where there's some sort of positivity for Chelsea Football Club. There has to be a dark cloud over it because of a situation like this. Yeah, and I just want to finish off one thing, like the tactical thing, one thing I wanted to add. You know, if it, if this would have been such a known commodity that this was going to be the tactical move, how come Caballero wasn't put in to stop the PKs against Tottenham? Like, that's my biggest thing. Against yeah, Tottenham, earlier point. this this campaign, when we had to go into PKs for the, this very tournament— Keppa was the hero at the PK shootout. So, yes, it's so easy to throw in our face that Caballero's PK percentage is in the 40s and Keppa's is approaching the 30s. Like, whatever. At the end of the day, he was the guy the last time around. So, yeah, I, I, I don't want to fall trap into the tactical substitution part because Sari has come out and said that that wasn't the case either. Um, I do want to say that I am proud of the way Chelsea and Sari specifically handled the situation in yeah. front of the media. Whoever I their PR Sarri, guy was definitely yeah. nailed it. Sorry, protected Kepa immediately after the game, calling it the understanding or the misunderstanding. And then today with their follow-up comments, he did, you know, mention that Kepa came in, apologized to everybody and that, you know, showed professionalism there, that his reactions were well-intended, although not in the right execution. Like, I thought everyone said the correct thing. The club definitely needed to find Kepa because that's just not acceptable at the end of the day. But at least we handled it right in a time that we probably could have screwed this up and made things even worse. If you're if you're Maurizio Sarri, are you starting Keppa on Wednesday? Yes, because we can't afford to lose points anymore in the league table. So I, it's a more of a situational thing. I might play Caballero now more so in the Europa League games or something along those lines. But yeah, I I, I think if these cramps are just cramps or whatever, then yeah, you start Keppa Wednesday. Now, uh, another, I mean, before we get on to the tactics, um, another thing that sort of rubbed me the wrong way was the lack of leadership that we saw during that situation. I know Dave has been under scrutiny for his, his comments after, and we'll get to talking about that, but I want to talk about David Luiz specifically. Um, David Luiz was the only one that went up to Keppa during that situation. And, and, you know, he had his hand over his mouth. And after the match, you know, he revealed that he told Keppa, like, get on with it. You got to get off the pitch. You know, just, just, just make this step off. Let Willie come on. And, you know, you did well today. Keppa clearly didn't listen. Now, are you subscribing to this player power, um, debate that's been going that's been making its rounds on twitter's on twitter because i mean you think about it if the club wasn't in the position we're in politically um i don't think a situation like this happens if it because if we're if we're running a steady ship i just can't see something like this going down the way it did i mean what do you think 
I mean, the player power thing is, I mean, I think it's a realistic issue. I don't think that that's the reasoning behind this sub. I, as, I definitely, I, I do want to blame the whole miscommunication thing. The people at the bench should have known that Kepa told the doctors that came on twice that he was going to be fine. Because again, I do truly at the end of my, at the back of my mind, I believe that that was the issue. But yeah, I mean, I think Kepa was just probably overreacted because he had just had the same exact conversation with the therapists or the, the physios. But his reaction was still not acceptable, regardless of his mindset. So I, it's just, again, unfortunate because my first thought was that, that this was going to be twisted for that purpose. So let's actually talk about the the tactical outlook on the game because I do want to move on from the Keppa thing. I just don't think it's worth my time or your time or our mm-hmm. listeners' time because they probably listened to six or seven podcasts before I was talking about the same fucking thing. So tactics. Um, like I said, obviously I didn't get to watch the match. Um, I, I know I'm a terrible person. Um, but Andres, I mean, why don't you walk us through what Sari did differently in this match? Because it seemed like this was the main positive that we could take out of it. Yeah. And for starters, literally, he chose to play Emerson at left back, which wow. was a, yeah, what a shocking thing. So finally he listened to our cries for Emerson, who we all agree has played very well. But after that six nil, we expected him to just kind of hit copy paste into, you know, his football and, and push that brand of football, even to risk the result. But he brought back the false nine, and just like the first time we beat City, he decided to put it in a mid to low block defensively and, and set us up for the counter. And once again, it worked out. Uh, just to be quick, Pep did say that was the hardest match this current City team has faced all season. And the way we achieved that defensively was Conte and Barkley were having kind of like a man-marking job on De Bruyne and, and, and David Silva. And Hazard from that central position forward was kind of shadowing Fernandinho and just giving him uh, hell, essentially. Now, William and Pedro were more than happy to do the defensive work, and they were the first ones to spring on the the counter. And, you know, we, we grew into this game. You know, at first, City definitely looked more dangerous, but as time goes on, like, the players more and more believed in what they were doing, and it was working. And outside of that one chance where Aspie was blocked or Aspie blocked Aguero inside the six and the ball kind of jumped a little bit in the box, I think Chelsea had the better chances and they all came from from what the work Hazard did as our false nine. And he was timing his runs perfectly. They weren't direct down the middle. They were he, there were these off the shoulder runs towards the corners of the box and he beat those center backs each and every time. It, it seemed like every time the ball actually made it past the midfield and through the defense, Hazard was going to get to it, and he was going to try to create something from it. And, I mean, you can look at the numbers. I think City had something like 20-something fouls because it got to the point where they just had to drop our players before they found that breaking pass. And, and yeah, we, we honestly, tactically speaking, were the better set-up team even though we didn't have the better players on the pitch, in my opinion. I mean, maybe this is a formula that could work in the future. Usually when we've seen Eden play the false nine, it's been, you know, in matches where we tend to dominate possession. 
the other team puts eight or nine players behind the ball, those two blocks of four or a block of four and a block of five or a block of four or a block of five and a block of four, however you want to spin it. Usually teams are sitting deep against us and we are usually controlling at least 65 to 70 percent of the possession. Mm -hmm. And the problem with having Hazard in a false nine in that situation is one, he has to drop deep to collect the ball, which takes a striker out of the box. And two, um, we don't have a poacher inside the box that could just find those little spaces and score because that's not what Hazard's good at. But it looked like here, um, from what I saw in you know some extended highlight videos and some articles I read, Chelsea actually dropped off at at times and were were comfortable in allowing City to to control possession. Um, and I think having space in behind could work to our advantage, especially when Hazard's playing the false nine. Because like you said, he's able to play off the shoulder of a center back in behind space. If he has 30 or 40 yards of green grass to run into, as opposed to, what, four or five yards when Mm -hmm. teams are sitting extremely deep, that can make all the difference. So, I mean, based on what you saw, Andres, I mean, Mm -hmm. was that the case? Was it more a case of Hazard just being on his game, or was it the case of he had space to run in behind and we were just executing tactically? No, I really do think it's a little bit of both because once we won the ball deep, all it took, and again, it it did take a bit of skill because David Luiz and Kepa were finding these little dinked balls that skipped over the front five of Man City and landed like perfectly to like Conte or whoever the runner was like in that gap of space. But I think that this is a tactic that's maybe not the false nine altogether, but just this defensive, more defensive approach against the teams that we need to get results against for the remainder of the season. So Tottenham, um, Man United and Arsenal specifically, these are three teams that when they've beat us, they've beat us because of the counter, because they're the ones inviting us into their final third knowing that they can expose us on the counter attack but those are the same teams that we can expose on the counter because arsenal and united's back four are not something to be bragging about and tottenham's while theirs is better than those two the only reasons they've beat us is because of the, the way they set up to counter us with wide forwards so yeah. why not flip it on them and try that because at this point we can't we can't be giving up results for the betterment of sorry ball and whatever his football is we just need to get the results period so for these games i say you know we'll learn our sorry ball possession based fluid attack another time let's get the three points because that's that's the goal at the end of the day anyway you know, I, I mentioned this last week, but Liverpool had the same problem a few years ago when they had Felipe Coutinho on their team. Basically, when Klopp first came in, he was employing this heavy metal football, you know, the typical 4-3-3 high press, uh, 100-octane all, all match long. But that's not a sustainable formula for the, for, the, for the long haul in terms of, like, the actual league. And when you get to this stage in the season, teams usually start to get burned out. And historically, that's what happens to Klopp's teams. And I mean, I guess we're kind of seeing it a little bit now with Liverpool. Um, but it's more a matter of their goals have just completely dried up. I mean, I don't know where their creativity went. They, don't ju- they just don't have goals in the midfield. But the- Klopp changed the formula this year from 4-3-3 to 4-2-3-1. He's playing a little bit more pragmatic. He's allowing teams to attack him to open up spaces in behind for Mane and Salah and Firmino to, to operate in. It's a formula that's proven to work for them this season. I mean, you look at where they are in the table. Right now they're at the top of the table. So maybe yeah. Chelsea could 
sort of take a page out of Klopp's book because in the sense of 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 the high press, Sari and Jurgen Klopp are actually very similar. They they have ball winners playing higher up in the midfield and orchestrators sitting in deep. Um, you know, for for Klopp, it's you know it's a uh, it's usually someone like Milner or or Jordan Henderson or more recently Fabinho who who's great at both. But Liverpool have the luxury of having a guy like Fabinho who's just a great footballer. And for Chelsea, it's Jorginho. So maybe stealing that tactic could work. And and I think that's a blueprint that we should definitely use in a Tottenham match also. Um, but I do want to move on. I want to talk about um, the subs. So for once, it seems like Sorry got this shit right. Um, oh, yeah. When I when I checked my phone, the only sub that, uh, that really raised any red flags for me was the Iguain one. Because I just don't understand why you would wait until the first extra time to bring on a striker with fresh legs who is clinical. Um, but other than that, I mean, it looked pretty good. We didn't get the typical 60th minute Barkley for Kovacic <laughs> nonsense for once. So, I mean, Andres, why don't you talk about the subs and the impacts they had on the game? Uh, first yeah. starting off with Cho. Well, before I jump to that, you mentioned the Barkley Kovacic. I think this game kind of... A- exemplified the fact that Sari now sees Kovacic as the backup regista, which I don't think is a bad thing whatsoever. I have no problem with that. Yeah, yeah. he could have easily made that sub, and he didn't. And he started off with Cho as the first sub in the 79th minute, which I thought was genius. At this point, we've played 80 minutes of just defensive football that's, you know, mentally draining to the opposition. And while we were doing that, we also actually tired them out with the counterattacks we created. Like I said, I thought we, I think we had more chances than city really did. Um, and most of those forced their whole team to sprint their ass back to the defense. So you bring in Cho, who's a direct winger who stays wide and can create that quick switch to during the attack. And he's facing Sinchenko, who is a tired left back, who is really an attacking midfielder, meaning this guy screwed against Cho's movement. And following that, I thought also Pedro was very bad. He missed our biggest opportunity of the day by not shooting, which I never thought I would say about Pedro because I feel like he sometimes overshoots. But again, I'll focus on the good. We had Loftus-Cheek come in for Barkley, and he was an immediate, and I mean an immediate impact sub. He came in the 89th, so... He didn't have anything left in extra time, but he did have this beautiful flick oh, off a ball in the air where he comp- he made the midfielder look like an idiot and followed that by passing the ball off to Hazard. I believe this was the last play of the game, actually. And Hazard was, in our eyes, onside. VAR, I don't know if we're talking about this later on, but VAR, the, the referees did the wrong call here with the offside because... The way Kane's goal against us was whistled was that you play on, you get the result, then you check the offside call. Mm-hmm. So we got short end of the stick there, but RLC was huge again, breaking the press, pushing the envelope forward. He's just he needs to, hope he's healthy because he needs to be starting. And then the final one was Iguain, like you said, in the 95th, and that just made it clear to me that he said, okay, we did our part defensive, now it's time to to just get a scrappy goal 
You put in Iguain, who's the poacher, back in the game, and you just hope that that ball goes into a crowded box and he can poke it through. And you essentially you take out Willian, who has been one of your PK takers before out, because you're trying to get the win now. So um, I was a huge fan of all the substitutions. And honestly, the way this game ended is how I want some of the Chelsea lineups to be in the future for those teams that do sit back. You mentioned how should we attack those teams that let us have the possession. I think this is it with players like Cho, RLC, Iguain, and Emerson, who are so good at driving forward and causing people headaches as individuals as well as in this system. Yeah, no, I think it's a good point that you make about uh, Loftus-Cheek and Cho specifically because, you know, going into the Tottenham match, I want to see Loftus-Cheek being our, being our third midfielder, and I want to see Cho uh, playing opposite of Hazard on the right. And the reason being is when you think about it, I don't think we have two more creative players at the moment uh, behind Hazard than Loftus-Cheek and, and, and Cho. Willian does it in spurts, but you can't really rely on him night in and night out. And Pedro just looks like he's finished as far as I'm concerned. We know what Giroud could offer, and Iguain would just be the perfect complement to someone that has pace and, and, and a great delivery and in show and just someone that's just all around brilliant like Hazard. I would love to see that lineup going into Spurs. I think that would be the ideal situation. Um, really, I want to go through this next part really quick. It's just a, it's just about the penalty shootout. Um, I, I, I do have a hot take here. And um, based on what I saw, if Hazard missed that Panenka, I think it would have been a bigger deal than this whole Kepagate nonsense bullshit, whatever you want to call it. Oh, man, the probably. nerve, <laughs> the nerve to take a PK like that in a cup final when you know that the implications are if you miss, your team essentially loses. Keeping that in mind, Emerson, uh, Emerson even or Ederson, sorry, walked up to Hazard before and tried to ice him and was trying to play these silly little mind games. <laughs> Listen, Ederson, how how old is Ederson? Like twenty two years old. He was like yeah, he's 13. a young guy. He was like 13 when he got his first tattoo or something. Listen, you cannot play mind games with a with a two-time Premier League champion with against arguably a top 5 footballer in the world. Like you you just can't you can't do that. It it's just it doesn't work that way. It's like someone going up to, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say Cristiano or Messi, but it's it, it, it's like someone challenging, you know, uh, Aryan Robin in his prime, or you know, uh, take take your pick, Neymar Jr. or someone like someone in that caliber, not necessarily the Ronaldo Messi tier, but that tier right below there, where ha- where I believe Hazard is. You just can't do that, and then you and then you go and you make yourself look like a fool. I'm glad Hazard buried that in the back of the net because just looking at Ederson's pace pisses me off. So and clearly it did for Hazard because. You know, we've never seen him attempt a Panenka like that. I thought he was just going to do that quick body feint and just roll it into the back of the net. But he seems to do really well at switching up his penalties, especially as of late. Um, Jorginho's penalty, really quick. I mean, just uh, pissed off or you'll you'll let him get away with that one? I think it's more of a case of Ederson doing his homework. I mean, Jorginho's taken now, I think, three or four of those for us this season. I think George, uh, Ederson knew that the hop was coming and that he just had to wait it out and try to get to the ball because normally Jorginho doesn't put power behind it. I yeah. think that this is a lesson learned moment for Jorginho. 
I think he needs to take one out of Hazard's book, like you mentioned. Hazard's been switching up his PKs a lot. And, you know, most people, and I'm kind of a, what's the word for this? Not a purist. I guess I'm going to, I'm one of the people that has done this. Like in my whole career, I've taken the PK the exact same way. But looking back at it, just within Chelsea, Hazard has been recently taking them differently. Um, And Lampard, who is probably our greatest PK taker ever, he never Mm -hmm. just did the exact same thing. He was always, he just decided on the, the, on his day what corner he was going to go to there was that specifically that one time where he had to take a pk like three times and he scored all three of them so yeah the point i'm trying to make is that you can't be a one trick pony especially deep into a season where there's tape that people can look into and maybe you need to be a little bit smarter knowing that they are going to do that like if Jorginho came out and didn't do a hop right there we would still be like oh my god but people should not be freaking out about this because if it uh, before today everybody was praising his form um i was mad at Jorginho. i'm not gonna lie um and yes if, if if angry chelsea fan is listening to the podcast remember that i'm saying this <laughs> i was mad at Jorginho because i understand if you're doing that you know in in a league match against you know amid the lower table side where you could probably wind up fooling their goalkeeper um or if we have you know like a insane amount of momentum where the implications basically aren't as big as they were in this match look just put the fucking ball down on the spot and try and smash it in a corner and i'll and i'll give you an example david louise missed his penalty but i wasn't mad when he missed his because he was just trying to smash it into the corner and got unlucky and hit the post if that went flying into the back of the net that's literally a perfect penalty look at raheem sterling picked a corner and smashed it dave I think Dave had the perfect penalty of the shootout, Good by the God. way. Top right corner, absolutely no, make no mistake about it. Just smash it in the fucking corner. It's so simple. You are 12 yards out from goal. There is no need to dress it up in high heels and 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 a Gucci handbag in order to roll it in the back of the net. Just sprint up to the ball and smash it. That simple. Um, but yeah, I mean, David Luiz's miss, I wasn't that angry about because he we knew what he was trying to do and he was trying to do the right thing. Um, but Kepa definitely should have saved the Guero shot, but we already kind of highlighted that as well. Um, anyways, I mean, that, that kind of brings us to the end of this game. Um, I, do you have any final thoughts? Is there something else that you want to mention really quick or I, I just think it's a strong foundation to a key part of, of the, of the remainder of the season. It's, it's make or break Mm -hmm. now. and, And this was a good, even though we didn't get the trophy, there's, there's positives that could be key to the remainder of the season. I think this tactical formula is something that we could use against the rest of the top six sides uh, as we, you know, try to make a run for this top four. I think any time we face a team that has a significant attacking threat and that likes to dominate possession, I don't think we should just try to out-dominate them in possession like Sorry has been trying to do all season. I think we should sit back, be a little pragmatic, and play like we did there. I mean, City did get lucky uh that we didn't put one in i conte had a great chance at the end of the game that i saw hazard's offside was kind of nonsense but then again you can make the same argument for uh for aguero i don't think aguero was offside i mean what like the arms on uh the the hair on his arms were offsides if anything on that (laughs) one it was just it was just absolutely ridiculous but i do want to move on i know mama was about a week ago but let's just talk about one callum hudson adoy in this game um 89% pass completion, three key passes, nine out of eleven dribbles completed, and he capped it all off 
with a pretty well-taken goal. Um, he had a tough angle, and he just decided to smash it as hard as he can past the goalie, and it worked. So uh, is he our best option on the right wing? Because we keep saying he is every week, but he's just not getting the starts. He, so, he is. He is. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's, it, there's no more talking about it. He just is. I mean – after watching that lot, that game Sunday, I'm telling you, if you put Cho in the position Pedro was when Pedro decided to take a touch and pass it, that ball's in the back of the net. I don't care that he's 18 years old. I don't care that he hasn't played in the cup final for Chelsea. He would have buried that. Buried that. So, yeah, bring Cho in. Let him learn by trial of fire, whatever the term is, but it's time. It, it's time. All right, I mean, I guess that sums up the normal <laughs> match because I was going to say the exact same thing. Look, Cho is way too good to be riding the bench this much. I know he's getting more time than most 18-year-olds, and I did come to the defense of Sari at first um, when the season originally started. But just seeing this rapid decline of Pedro and, you know, Willian not putting up the statistical numbers that people think he's magically going to put up every year because he's just never been that guy. Callum Hudson-Odoi seems like a guy that could both fill up the stat sheet but also put in the performances that we need to win games. Um, and not to mention, he's completely complimentary to guys like Giroud and guys like Iguain who are good in the air because he has that ability to take someone 1v1, skip past two or three defenders, and play in a decent low cross or across that they could attack with their head. Um, and I think that's completely invaluable in the squad because we don't have anyone else that could do that besides Zappacosta, and Zappacosta can't even do that. Uh, it's just it, – it's crazy to me that he's not getting more time. But um, we talk about it way too much, and I want to move on the transfer ban. Um, so for those of you that don't know, I will give a little bit of background um, Chelsea have been hit with a two-window transfer ban uh, in the last week by FIFA. And uh, for those of you that are wondering what we did wrong, I'm going to quote an article by Gab Marcotti from uh, ESPN. Um, he said, quote, Chelsea are accused of having played youngsters, most of them kids on trial in their youth teams without registering them. The most famous case of this, uh, end quote, um, the most fa famous case of this is actually Bertrand Traore. Um, he was brought to the club at 15, and I don't know how to say that, Andres. I mean, maybe you're better at French than I am. Auxerre? Auxerre, yeah. Auxerre, something like lines. that. Uh, forgive me, uh, my French totally sucks, and you know, I, I, I give all the keyboard warriors on Twitter full uh, the green light to bash me on that. But anyways, uh, he was brought to the club um, at age 15. He played a few matches for the youth team while being unregistered. Chelsea also sent him to a private boarding school, which FIFA knows about. Basically, kids under the age of 18 cannot switch clubs internationally unless it is within 60 miles of the border or if it is for non-footballing reasons. Chelsea are clearly in breach of both. Um, so, uh, Andres, before I get on with, you know, where the next what the next step for Chelsea is in this whole situation um do you find it as ironic as I do that we have been hit with a transfer ban uh, <laughs> for players that we don't even use and Bertrand Traore was when we first launched this podcast it was a summer we let him go it was it was last year uh in the summer being so distraught that we let him leave because every single time that he led the line 
he did a job for us and he's doing that with Leon now. So do you find it as ironic as I do? Oh, definitely. Um, I, I'll quote Nini from Blue Lines TV because I thought what he said was perfect, that it is poetic justice. Like the fact that we don't play youth ever and now our transfer business for these youth future world beaters is the reason that we are now facing a two trans window ban. It's oh my god, it's written in the stars, isn't it? Unfortunately, uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> um, Gab Marcotti also said uh, in his article, "quote," and I find this part interesting, and, and this is actually the key to this whole situation. Um, the fact of the matter, and this is his quote: "The fact of the matter is that Chelsea can appeal the case to FIFA." And if the ban is upheld, they can appeal it to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. All of that takes time. Take Barcelona. They received a two-window ban in April of 2014. Their appeal to FIFA was rejected in August of 2014, four months later. And the CAS appeal, the Court of Arbitration for Sport, was rejected on December 30th of 2014. So from the original date of the ban in April of 2014 – utilizing the uh the appeals process two separate appeals processes they were able to push their ban back about eight months um so chelsea are no doubt going to be doing the same exact thing um there's two ways which this could pan out um if chelsea do appeal to the court of arbitration this will probably give us the summer's window to do as much business as possible before the likely start date of January 2020 or the summer of 2020 uh, of the start date of January 2020. So it'll be the January transfer window of 2020 and it will go through the end of the summer 2020 window. That is worst case scenario from this point forward. Best case scenario from this point forward, the appeal actually holds some some weight um, in the courtroom and our sentencing could possibly be shortened. Now, I don't know the odds of this. I'm not an insider. I don't know extra information. Um, I just did a, a, a quick Google search to find out about you know the, the details of this. But Andres, let's say we do uh, file the appeal for the Court of Arbitration for sport, which seems to be a no-brainer here because that will give us this summer to do some business. Mm-hmm. What kind of business do we need to do in the summer? And would you rather have sorry – uh, leading the team through the ban. Oh God. Okay. Or would you rather bring in your boy Steve Holland? Wow. Okay. So I'll start by talking about what kind of business we probably need to do. And um, as of today, it sounds like Ola Ina is officially going to become a Torino player as they're activating his 10 million uh, euro buyout. Seems like so a that's... bargain too, considering the way he's playing. Right. So he's out of the picture. But first thing is that. Hazard is still most likely leaving. I do not think that he's going to pull a Griezmann and be like, oh, I can't screw over the club during a ban because technically we still have the summer. So I I think (laughs) (laughs) I rather, what is it? I I, I don't know. I'm not going to change my mind. I think he's gone. But uh, using that money wisely, I think that's the first thing. Um, And and getting rid of, of some of those guys that are just 
cashing paychecks and not playing. So this summer we need to say goodbye to, to the likes of, of Cahill, um, one of, if not both of William and Pedro, Hopefully, um, uh, Danny Drinkwater, Zappacosta. Yeah, Danny Drinkwater, Zappacosta. So getting rid of those guys. Um, if you want squad players, look no further than your lone army, especially mm. with a two-window ban because these are cheap, long-term options. So you finally get to see what they're really made of. And then bring in key guys that you can – and again, because of where we're at, it all depends on how the season ends, but let's – Let's say that we somehow get Champions League football. It'll be easier to attract players. We need better fullbacks to fit the system. We need one more striker. We're going to need, let's say, Hazard leaves with Cho stays. So you got Cho on the left, Pulisic on the right. You still need another winger. Just math. And, and maybe one more midfielder. So you're looking at a window where you need four players. And you need to act fast. So... So my thing is that like Chelsea's known this ban is coming for a while, and for once in their life, I hope that they have a plan going into this summer. Now, what that plan will look like is going to be very, very much affected by who the manager is. And in a perfect world, Sari fixes his relationship with the club slash the players by doing a little bit more what he did this Sunday, and and holding off on on his football and worrying about what the team as a collective needs. Realistically, I don't see that happening. And and realistically, I think that, oh man, it, it hurts because I want Sorry to succeed, but I, I have a feeling that he'll get the ax. I think his lease is still very short. And, and we'll get Holland and Terry, and they've both been vocal recently about the academy. So they shouldn't fa- face the same sort of issues of past managers because now we have the ban and now the, the, our expectations need to be uh, similar to our situation. So with the ban, I hope that the board and whoever is making decisions at that point uh, is well aware that we're going to be kind of handcuffed. So that's just my take on that. So I know that, you know, obviously we do, I mean, we do have financial power. I mean, we were, we were the team that started, you know, this whole um, ridiculous transfer fee market that we see today but we don't have the same spending power as barcelona but barcelona in um 2014 right before the ban was uh upheld they were able to spend close to 200 million on player purchases they brought in guys like luis suarez they brought in guys like rakitic um i'm forgetting who else was on that list but those are i know that those are the two main notable ones oh jeremy matthew or mateo whatever his name is he's at lisbon now i mean the, the the point i'm making is that they were able to bring in players and they were willing to splash that much money and it worked out pretty well for them i mean i would say that luis suarez has been a success there as much as it pains me to say because he's probably one of my least favorite players of all time but we're not going to take away from the fact that that signing took their team to a completely different level. And then we can't discount, you know, uh, Ivan Rakitic or as Sky Sports would call him future, uh, future Chelsea player, Ivan Rakitic. Um, but those guys influence the team heavily and Barcelona. No, I mean, they, they assess the situation. They said, look, we're not gonna be able to buy players for, you know, this X amount of time. We need to bolster the squad, and we can't waste that. This basically, we can't waste the time 
of that year or two years where we're going to have a ban on players that are going to be developing. We need players that are ready-made and that could perform through that time to take us into the next phase. And I think Chelsea needs to do the same thing. I think the first thing on the list needs to be a veteran player who is captain material. Somebody that could come into the squad from day one and immediately change the whole entire culture of uh, the dressing room. And I have a, and I, I, I just feel like that opportunity might have slipped away uh, this past January because we didn't really know that Mark Hamshik was on the uh, was was up for grabs until late in the window. And I just have a feeling that would have been the perfect move for Chelsea, a guy that has uh, leadership qualities. Yes, he is older in age, but he'll come on the cheap experience with sorry. Proven player, top class midfielder, et cetera, et cetera. You guys get the point. What we need to do is we need to bring in a player of similar leadership quality to him, um, at least one of them. And then the rest of the money that we spend, like let's say we go spend money on like another young flashy winger that's going to get you know some good playing time. And now, and now all of a sudden we're starting to look like a proper team, okay, because now we have this blend of experienced players – that can maintain a positive culture at the club, that understand what it is to lead a club and to lead a dressing room. But we also have this nice blend of youth. So you said, like, if we keep best-case scenario, we keep Cho. Pulisic is playing on the right. He's getting good playing time. We bring in another winger that could just kind of split time with them. We'll still have one of William or Pedro possibly bringing in uh, a top-class striker if we don't decide to bring Iguain back. I think that we need another midfield player. Um, I just don't think we're going to re-sign Kovacic. Um, I would actually be opposed to re-signing a guy like Kovacic. I think that we could get somebody better on the market, and I think Real Madrid is going to ask for a ridiculous price. Florentino Perez is an absolute nightmare to bargain with. Um, and we need another center back. I mean, we're going to be losing Gary Cahill. David Luiz is getting up there in age. And clearly our center back situation right now going into next season uh, is looking like Christensen and Rudiger. I think if David Luiz was going to sign an extension, it would have happened by now. Not to say I'm going to be surprised if he does sign an extension, but we have to look at the squad the way it is now, and we need another center back. We also need a right back and a left back. Right there, those players I mentioned, that's at least six or seven players that we need just to fill in the squad baseline. Let's say two or three of our loanees come back to fill in those spots. That's still four players. So now you're still looking within the range of about between maybe 120 and 150 in the window or, or in the market if we want to bring in players that are of substantial quality. And I think Chelsea just needs to bear that in mind. And hopefully Roman's going to be willing to spend the money because that this window coming up this summer is going to be the most important window Chelsea have ever had, period. Yeah. Now, it wouldn't be that big of a deal if the team was performing well and we were title contenders and or if we were comfortably in the top four. I don't think it would have been an issue. But right now, we're on the brink of missing out on a Champions League two years in a row. We just lost the cup final. Our league form is terrible. And, uh, and, and there's still a lot of tough teams left in the Europa League that you can't write off. So we're in a situation where... If this season does end up as a disappointment, which, as much as I hate to say it, it looks like that's where we're heading, this is easily the most important window in Chelsea's history. Uh, what do you think? I mean, I, I agree on that point. I, I think that um, 
yeah, you have the, the the biggest issue is regardless of how the season ends, our squad is still a very much a, a work in progress. There, this isn't your Man City, your Liverpool, your Barcelona, your Bayern Munich. We are nowhere near the strength of those squads in terms of starting eleven in depth. Like we we just are not. So regardless of whether we scrape into the, the Champions League and that helps us recruit talent or not, we we don't have a squad that can last two windows and essentially a season and a half without upgrades like that, that there isn't there. That does not, that option does not exist with the current 22 man squad. So yeah, no matter who's in charge, no matter how the season ends four players is the minimum. And that's if we bring back loanies. And the last thing is that we just need to for once in our life, not be cheap when it comes to buying these players. You have that people know that you have a band coming Pay them what they want if you target that player as a as a potential signing. They ask for that money, give it to them. Simple as that. Because you can't be playing with like, oh, well, you know, maybe at the end of the window they'll get desperate and just take our offer. No, no, no. This is it. Like Teams are going to know that we're desperate. Yeah. And I think August that's the thing 1st, we have to keep in mind. Exactly. August 1st is going to come around and that's it. You can't sign a player for a whole year and a half. So – that's what will need to be done for for this window, and it, it is going to be make or break because this can either have us come out stronger two seasons down the road with a team that looks very much like maybe what Liverpool, if not better, look like today with a very good mix of young talent that can start in the Premier League and veterans, or we can look like a mid-side team. Like we might be stuck in sixth and eighth place, and that's all going to come down to the next six months. Oh, it sounds like there's a lot of crying on the horizon for me, huh? <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Um, I do want to move on. We are running low on time, so we did, we have we have actually three Twitter questions that we have to go through before we get into the Spurs preview. So, um, we will do this in our speed round format that we never follow. Um, but I guess the first question here, and I'm gonna expand on this before you jump in, Andres. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Benevolent Bono, uh, tweeted. Should Azpilicueta still be Chelsea captain? Now, after the match, I know that his quote sparked a lot of controversy, and they definitely upset me as well. Um, he said, quote, when he was asked about the Kepa situation, he said, quote, honestly, I don't know because I was on the other side of the pitch, so I cannot comment on this incident. Well, that incident was about two and a half minutes long, and you are only about 30 yards away from the incident itself. There is no reason to me why you couldn't run up to Kepa grab him by the ear and pull his fucking ass off the field to obey the coach, Um, which is what guys like John Terry would do. Guys like Carlos Puyol, uh, guys like, uh, you know, the the Chiellini types. I mean, I'm just thinking of the great leaders of world football, the Philip Loms of the world. Those guys would have yanked him off the pitch by any means necessary. And the fact that Aspi just didn't have a say in it at all, and it was David Luiz that was that was the one uh, doing it, was a bit ridiculous to me. So, as much as I love Dave, I still think he's incredible. I think he's invaluable. Uh, you can't put a price tag on him in terms of what he brings to the squad on a performance level. But what about that leadership level? Man, uh, I just think it's too late in the game to do that. Like, if this incident happens, 
before January, I'm like, screw it, pull the trigger. There's already so much stuff in the background that we don't know about. Like, there's a reason Aspie's captain to begin with. And honestly, I think it has to do more with the locker room than with Sari himself thinking that he should be the captain. And and that's the part that kind of worries me a little bit, that this could just cause, cause even more unrest. I just think that what we should take from this is that Aspie should not be the captain next season. And, and that's where I'm at right now. Like, he... This team, because of its lack of mentality and leaders, needs a strong vocal one. And and this team can't captain itself into a comeback. So we need somebody that can do that for us next season. I, I really think it's too late now, especially with all the craziness going on with the club, to, to be making that sort of change. Yeah, um, I agree with your point. I, I, I don't think that it's... Uh, I think it's really ill-advised to strip him of his captaincy at this point in the season. But again, I think the mistake is making him the captain in the first place. Going into the season, you had a guy in Eden Hazard who's been your best player in the last, what, 10 years, I would say, at Chelsea. And uh, a guy who is so valuable to the team and a guy who we're so reliant on. Why isn't he the captain? I mean, especially if you're trying to keep him here, knowing that he's you know going into the last year of his contract. It just seems kind of ridiculous to me. But anyways, um, our buddy Ron tweeted at us, um, and Ron actually came up with the greatest hashtag of all time, hashtag REP Ultra for Roman's Empire Ultra. So uh, shout out to Ron for coming up with that awesome hashtag. He asked, as mad as everyone is about hashtag Keppagate, how come no one is making a bigger deal of the Hazard non-offside call after that amazing quality pass from ROC? Do you think it's worth raising that much attention to? I mean, I just want to know what the VAR rules are because it seems like England as a country just doesn't understand how VAR works. And it just baffles me that a World Cup with referees from multiple countries can get it figured out in a short summer. And the British referees are still having such a hard time with how it should be used. That's my biggest gripe. Like, we're going to have missed calls here and there, but at least be consistent when it comes to the one bit of technology that you've added to the game. That's my issue with it. And the whole point of, of, of the only reason why VAR is around is to establish a consistency, and we just haven't seen it yet. It's, it's really frustrating. Um, last question. At NVARD, I want to say, NVVARD, um, he tweeted at us. At Roman's Empire Pod, probably getting hundreds of questions about Cho. He played great, gave us a spark. Now what? Start him against Tottenham? And thoughts on the Zizou rumors. Now rumors of Steve Holland as well. Zizou to Holland is a huge gap. What's next? Love the pod. So first of all, thanks for the kind words. Um, we're glad that you reached out to us. This is you know your first time uh, being on our podcast. But So the first question... He actually asked this before the City match, um, and and this was after Malmo. So I do think that he still should have started against City, but obviously he played you know the full 90 at Malmo, so that wasn't really a possibility for him. Against Tottenham, I think it's a no-brainer that he has to start. He played very well in the first leg. He gave their he asked a ton of questions about their def uh, of their defense in the first leg at Wembley. Him and Hazard seemed to be the only players that actually showed up that game. And uh, in terms of the Zizou rumors, I did address them last week. Um, I'm not getting my hopes up, and I don't think anyone else should either. 
he left Real Madrid because that team needed to rebuild. And if Chelsea need anything now more than ever, it is exactly that, a rebuild. So I don't think Zizou's in the question. If Steve Holland came back to Chelsea, I would be the happiest man on the planet. Uh, Andres, what do you think? Um, well, I want to say that we need to also think, think into fatigue going into this Tottenham game. And the one winger that has the least amount played after Sunday is Hudson Adoy. So I want him to start. He seems to be the only winger outside of Hazard that's looking to score and thinks he has the ability to. So, yeah, we need the goals. I want him to, to, to play against Tottenham. And it makes sense talking about some the players in rotation and, and just keeping everybody healthy. So it, it's a must. And in terms of Z- Zidane, let's be real. It seems now that Allegri might have his time at Juventus cut, especially uh, because of his failings in the Champions League. And that team is primed for Zidane. Like, it is oh, the exact same God, thing yeah, with Real Madrid when he took over. Like, it's a ready-made squad with world superstars. Cristiano Ronaldo, his boy, is there. He's got Dybala, who is probably going to stay now because he's buddy-buddy with CR7. And and this team has, like, the tactical fluidity is insane. You can play three at the back. You can play four at the back. You can play st- veterans. You can play younger players. Like, Zidane is going to do what he did at Real Madrid with his Juventus side. And I, you'd be a fool to think that he'd rather go to Chelsea, a team he has no connection to, to Juve, where he, like, essentially made his mark. All right. Um, let's get into this Spurs preview. So obviously uh, a match that we used to look forward to um, <laughs> for the last 24 years. But up until I had uh, up until I dragged my ass all the way across the pond to London, um, Chelsea have remained unbeaten, you know, for what, 20 some years against Spurs at home. I dra- I go up there and we lose in a horrible fashion and our form against Spurs has not been great as of late. So with that being said, Spurs are third in the table on 60 points. They lost their last match to Burnley and I did a little bit of research. They have seven losses total on the season. The only time they played a top six side after a league defeat was way back in September where they lost against Watford. And then they also lost the following game to Liverpool right afterwards. So this possibly could, I mean, obviously I'm looking on the bright side here and the glass is definitely half full, but Spurs always have a tendency to bottle it. So I have a feeling that they're going to uh, not necessarily bottle it, but there is hope for us in this match. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Dele Alli is out and Harry Kane returned last week against Burnley with a goal, but he's probably not fully match fit. Andres, what do we need to do to win? Start the 11 that finished against Man City and don't look to control the game by possessing in their offensive third. Like, scrap scrap that strategy for this game because then they're going to try to just hit us on the counter. I think this is a game where we need to focus less on getting to 70-plus percent possession and allowing... I guess our team to to have space to run into because if we play the game where we they give us the space in the final third and we try to break them down we're gonna lose so those are my two big ones I think you start the eleven that ended meaning Iguain Hazard and Cho up front Loftus Cheek Conte Jorginho and the back four 
Unfortunately, because we've played so much, I do think Alonzo will start. Um, if sorry, trust him enough, maybe Christensen can get another start since his form is good. And of course, I, I, I think Kappa needs to play. So for me, it's get the starting 11 as close to sun, the end of Sunday as possible with knowing how much fatigue these players have built up. You can't expect them to all play after 120 minutes, but you, you definitely need to, to kind of keep that because we need to, to be quick and direct because most teams are, are and the way Tottenham has played this before is to kind of gift us that space or doing that whole Jorginho man marking thing. So I, I think we need to change our approach. Third time's the charm, or I guess this would be what the fourth now. So fourth now, yeah. Yeah. We played Tottenham at the bridge earlier this month. Um in the in the uh in the League Cup. League Cup, yep. And they were missing Harry Kane, they were missing Dele Alley. And although we turned in a good performance, I don't think we beat them as badly as we should have. Now that being said, Harry Kane is back. And so is uh, Sun Hyung Min, who has been arguably their best player in the last two or three months. One of them always runs riot against us. So, I mean, it's our responsibility to be wary of that. Now, how Maurizio Sarri is going to go about that, I mean, God help him. Because, I mean, you have two players that can hurt you on any day of the week. But I do think that we have to contain Sun more than Harry Kane in this situation. Pochettino is going to be smart about this, and similarly to the way you were describing Juventus, as much as I hate to say it, Tottenham is probably the most tactically flexible team in the Premier League at this point, um, where they could play different formations, different styles. They could dominate possession. They could hit on the counter. They could play the long ball. Um, Harry Kane could play as a target man. He could drop off and play as a 10 with Son and Lucas running off of him or Dele Alli. The list goes on and on. I mean, the team is very flexible. Let's not kid ourselves as much as we fucking hate Tottenham, which we do fucking hate Tottenham a lot. Um, Pochettino's going to be smart. He is going to soak up pressure. He's going to allow us to possess the ball, which he's going to be happy with because he's going to use the pace of Sun and the creativity and uh, potency of Kane to hurt us on the counterattack. And I could just see it coming from now. So like you said, Andres, I think it's important that Sari acknowledges that Poch is probably going to give him a bit of possession, and maybe Sari gives him a taste of his own medicine. Maybe we could go through periods in this match for 10, 15 minutes at a time where we don't employ a high press, where we do drop off, where we see Conte drop off into that double pivot next to Jorginho, and we almost sit in this semi uh, or pseudo 4-2-3-1 formation where we're allowed to soak up pressure with Iguain as our point man um, and have guys like Hazard and Callum Hudson-Odoi and hopefully Loftus-Cheek running off of him on the counterattack. That's how I would go about this match. Let's see if Maurizio Sarri does it. He made the proper adjustments against Man City. I think he learned his lessons. In his press conferences, he seemed very pleased with the way the team executed the tactical side of the match. So... That gives me a little bit hope, a little bit of hope that he can go into this match with a more pragmatic mindset, not completely pragmatic, but a more pragmatic mindset similar to the one that we had against Man City. Um, Andres, predictions? I think we win. I think that the team, aside from all the, I think that that loss against City is going to spark something in them because I think they tasted what it could have been. 
And now reality is also sinking in that they have to turn it around. Like you're okay. We're not, this cup would have been nice to kind of calm the waves, but now it's, it's really getting down to it. We need to get into the top four. We need to do it. This is a, what's that? Six point swing. Obviously they're autonomous in third, not fourth, but still like this is the time where you need to get as many points as possible. Mm-hmm. It's, if we do pick up three points, just for the record, we jump into fourth ahead of Arsenal, who has a game in hand. Yeah, so again, we need this win. We need it. The players know it. I think the players also saw in something this Sunday, or I hope they did, that they can they can play with the best if they execute a plan. And so, again, if, if we're tactically set up correctly, I think the players now know that they can they can go against anyone. All right. I mean, that brings us to the end of this week's show. Again, um, apologies for Sam not being able to be on the show. He forgot that it was his mom's birthday today. <laughs> A true story, right, Andres? I mean, I mean, you could vouch for that. Um, <laughs> so uh, Sam couldn't be on the show because he forgot it was his mom's birthday. That's how shit of a week it's been. That's how you know it's been a shit week for him. Anyways, um, we're out of time today. Uh, hopefully Sam will be with us next week. If not, um, it looks like we're going to have to probably find him a week's worth of wages um, just so he can <laughs> uh, get his mind reset and back on back focus on a podcast because we do miss him here. Um, if you guys have questions, if you guys have comments, please feel free to reach out to us. We have been having such great interaction on Twitter as of late. Um, also, our activity on our podcast, the numbers we are getting are absolutely staggering. Um, they're the highest they've ever been and we just really want to keep that momentum going and we're glad that we could keep putting out uh, content that you guys enjoy because ultimately that's how we started this show we didn't do it to become famous or to make money we did it because we love Chelsea and we know there's a lot of other people that love Chelsea out there as well so with that being said reach out to us at Romans Empire Pod that's our Twitter handle Romans Empire Pod at Gmail that's our uh that's our email account you can email us questions there as well make sure you follow us on SoundCloud we are on iTunes we are on all third-party apps for Android. Uh, Andres, do you want to plug in your YouTube channel before we sign off? Yeah, I need to bring that thing back to life, and I apologize for that. I'm hoping to, to get a video out before the Spurs game just to talk about what we really could expect after, um, after this crazy couple of weeks for Chelsea. So um, I, we appreciate the support on the pod. We love to talk to everyone on Twitter, get into some heated and some friendly debate as well. So, yeah, thank you guys again. The numbers have been awesome to see, and uh, that's, yeah, thank you guys. All right, and, uh, oh, also for our viewers, don't forget to pray for Venezuela as well. They are uh, tough times down there. Um, But anyways, shout-out to Andres, shout-out to Solomon Rondon and uh, Joseph Martinez. But uh, anyways, um, we look forward to talking to you guys next week. Stay safe and uh, keep the blue flag flying high.